Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, happenings, and history of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. In this episode, the legendary Bigfoot comes to town for a movie premiere. But are the people of West Seattle believers? We find out by hitting the streets and setting up an exclusive interview between Bigfoot and West Seattle's own most elusive famous figure. We'll also get some last-minute suggestions for your summer reading list from Pegasus Book Exchange. Before we get deeper into the woods, I just want to say thanks for listening. To make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And we'd love it if you could like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle on all three social platforms is Always Podcast. The end of summer is heading our way, but it's not too late to squeeze in a few good books. We checked in with Eric Ogresek at Pegasus Book Exchange for a few of his latest picks. How are things at Pegasus Books? Yeah, not bad. Now that we're letting the door open, we're just people we haven't seen in a long time. For various reasons, they didn't come in or didn't want to use our other way of, of ordering, so they've started coming in again. And It's great to see these piles of books go out that have been sitting on our shelves for a year. They've been really good. Did a lot of changes in the store, so I'm feeling good about getting crates off the floor and creating new sections, so it's fun. And then all the tourists from the cruise ships are coming in, and they're really cool, and there's a lot of people visiting family. So it's been really nice. The conversation's been good. I've only had to make a few people put on masks or debate them on why it should be done. You know? <laughs> so, uh, for the most part, people have been cool, and yeah, we can't complain. You actually notice, like, when cruise ships are in town, downtown, you get people into the store in West Seattle? Yeah, Laura did a video, Laura from the Junction Association back in the day. It was in cahoots with the, the tourism people down there. Mm-hmm. So they put up pamphlets on why to w- visit the West Seattle Junction. So oh. they really encouraged them to take the ferry over here or the little the taxi, the water yeah. taxi over and spend the day on Alki, come up here, shop and eat and then go back. Nice. It, it, you can definitely tell because when 17 people from Alabama show up, you kind of just know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they're, And they're quick to announce it. And you can just tell where the like port, uh, where a lot of people left from because there's a lot of people from there. Yeah, and they're cool. They buy books. They That's one thing they want to do when they come to Seattle is buy some books, music, and coffee. Right. Those seem to be the three. Yep. But, yeah, it, it's really cool. That's and neat. we like seeing that. Yeah, you just can't complain. We didn't realize how much we missed people until they were back in here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're nearing the end of summer, but it's not too late to squeeze a few books onto those summer reading lists. What are you recommending these days? I actually just recently finished Clara and the Sun by Ishiguro, which uh, I'd never fully read any of his books. Mm -hmm. It just seemed depressing his earlier works. I didn't want to read about sad lives. And so when he started writing kind of more fantasy or sci-fi type ones, I was like, I'm going to give it a try. So kind of Clara and the Sun deals with AI, artificial intelligence, and what it would mean once that becomes the norm and when kids maybe start getting their own AI machine and companions and how that will work. And that's what he did in Clara and the Sun. So I decided to start reading his other book, The Buried Giant, mm-hmm. which I'm only about 40 pages into. But uh, it's like a it's post-Arthurian Britain. You don't know when, but there's this family, a very strange couple that live on the outskirts of their small village and that you don't really know what's going on which he's really good about doing i noticed that with far in the sun you Mm -hmm. don't know how he feels about ai about people's reactions to it even about the world around it or the experiences that they they have really until the end and even then it's really almost left up to you which sometimes I don't like that, but the way the, the car in the sun ended made me feel really good about his outlook towards AI and how we are. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm concerned certainly about people uh, losing importance to machines. You already see it happening on smaller levels. Yeah. Uh, so I just love his philosophy. He was born in Japan, raised in England. And so he's got a, a really good outlook on life and, and different cultural views. So I think that helps come into his writing and, and being able to observe mm-hmm. other potentials. This is his first fantasy book, I think. Yeah, it's his first fantasy one, and that's it won the Nobel Prize. So I, I went back. I didn't read it because it was universally panned because so many of his fans were used to reading his thing about a sad couple in England. And so <laughs> then when he tried it a little different, his fans didn't really like it as much, but a whole bunch of others started liking it. And when Clara and the Sun came in used, I was like, I'm just going to take it home. We called everybody on the waiting list, and I finished it in four days and was wow. impressed with it. So I'm glad I read him, and now I can definitely recommend him. The sad couple in England, are you referring to the remains of the day? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of it has been turned into movies. Yeah, that, the one that they turned into the movie with Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. I mean, it was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards, if you're into that sort yeah, so of thing. Never Let Me Go was another one. I, I don't know. I never seemed interested in any of the subjects. It was very lit-ish, which is good for its own thing, but... You know, World War Two. you know, Sad Couple in Central Park. There's so many things that I just, I wanted to break away from the couple's dynamic uh, mm-hmm. for, for that point, which actually led me to read the other book I'd been reading, which is Detransition Baby, which was really good. Oh, That's yeah. uh, about couples you don't see much representation with, and that was a fascinating book. The Tori Peters book is what I'm referencing. You don't read many books about trans people, let alone people who have detransitioned. Right. And maybe why. And although this is just maybe a few people's personal experiences or certainly the authors, what they have been around, uh, you get a lot of insight into the culture and the life and what it must be like, how how difficult it must be to not only uh, transition, but then to detransition. Mm-hmm. Wow. What that person went through was shocking. Yeah. And like I said, just fiction. But boy, uh, the way the author writes, it was intriguing. I mean, I, I don't read books in three, four, five days. I just don't really do that anymore. Uh, I usually read a few pages before bed and go to sleep, honestly. But this book just kept me up. I was like, man, I got to keep reading this. I was reading it at the beach. I was reading it online in the ferry, like wherever I could. So uh, a really fascinating book. I definitely re- want to see what else Tori Peters has to offer after this. Yeah, I think this is this has got to be one of the few books written by a trans person that's been published by a major company. So that in itself is pretty exciting and notable. And the way that the author's viewpoint is looking at things that we already have these assumptions and, and expectations around like parenthood and gender and identity but seeing them from a trans perspective, I think, is a very valuable exercise. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of trans friends. I talk to people all the time. But getting this insight, this is something you can't really disclose except to your closest people. You could tell a lot of these things must have happened to Tori or to their friends. So it was very raw and real. And some people might have hard parts to get through. But I would just suggest after the first 40 pages, it almost seems like they're pandering to a an audience to try to just push the envelope and just make you feel uncomfortable. And I think mm-hmm. that was maybe the goal, showing you all this uncomfortable situations and then bringing it home to the relatable story and to everyone. Like, seriously, I think anyone could like this book. If they just have slightly open mind, willing to accept it, they'll, they'll be like, wow, people are all the same. We all have the same friggin' problems. And that's, that's what I look for in a lot of this is seeing that, that people realize that. And once something comes mainstream, like you said, this is the first pop trans uh, book by a trans person that I can really think of. Uh, there's some in sci-fi and fantasy and romance, but not really literature, mm-hmm. not in our culture, at least not from America. I'm glad and I'm seeing a lot of people buy it. And even the negative reviews are really not against the, the trans perspective. It's maybe just about the graphic and sex that was described, mm-hmm. which 
really wasn't that. I mean, I've read way worse. It or was, better. It, it was not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> I could grab 6,000 books right now that have uh, more disturbing stuff. <laughs> I saw a, a reviewer on Goodreads wrote, there is hardly a page that won't cause somebody somewhere to clutch their own personal pearls. So there's something for everyone Ooh. in this book. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's well said. Yeah, seriously, it was very relatable, especially because it deals with parenting, like you said, and, and the business perspective and what that means for life, like your workplace, what happens when people don't accept you transitioning, and then they overly welcome you back to detransitioning. Uh, like one person went from male to female and then back to male and in the work environment the whole time in the corporate environment. So it was uh, interesting seeing how, how that worked out, especially mm -hmm. in the relationship with their boss and other coworkers and possibly having a family. So it was really cool. I, I was super impressed with it. I'll be recommending that uh, for years to come. Great. And I think your last book is back into the world of nature and the plants. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Big surprise. Sorry. I couldn't do without it. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite authors, Michael Pollan, though, personally, I think I probably wouldn't like him and he wouldn't like me. I, I do like his work. And this one in particular, I found fascinating. He had done a book before writing about potato, the rose and the marijuana plant and how they all affected history. Uh, and it's a really fascinating book called The Botany of Desire. So mm -hmm. to see him visit three different plants, opium, caffeine, and mescaline. It was really uh, fascinating seeing why he wrote this. He was in quarantine, so he couldn't do a lot of the research and the things he had planned to do. But the first story on opium is actually an earlier, he wrote gardening books. His first book was on him trying to right. create his own garden. So this one actually pulls from an article from the, the mid-90s that he wrote about opium and how really you could grow poppies in your yard, but once you acknowledge the fact that a certain strain could be used to make heroin or a drug, but that makes you guilty. You right. have done something illegal at that point. So if you just have poppies growing, especially the California poppies here, it's not the same species, but right. very similar aspects. So you got to beware of that. You know, mm -hmm. The California poppy grow everywhere here, so you can actually pick them and use them, unlike California, where it's the state flower and you cannot take it. So they grow everywhere there. And it, it is very good medicine, certainly. It doesn't have the addictive nature that straight up opium poppy does. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was fascinating seeing that he wrote this article and his editors told him not to publish it many years ago. Uh, so they eventually did publish it, but removed major parts that would have uh, gotten him in a lot of trouble. But now it's been grandfathered out. So he published it with some additional info, even a lot of it relating to Seattle, to a guy who writes books they're basically little self-published pamphlets on how to like make drugs in your bathtub and like strange stuff like that or how to use opium poppy to not distribute to make money but really to help cure yourself so yeah we kept going back to seattle which i always love when books do that and that part was fascinating but the caffeine part i think is what's going to shake up people if they do get through that because he admits he talks about it being a drug and i think we need to have that discussion because it mm -hmm. certainly is a mind-altering drug that everybody does every day and says nothing of and we live in a place where people can smoke marijuana openly no big deal but for many years i couldn't and i see people around me geeking out going and getting coffee and they acted a fool and i didn't see why that was necessarily fair or you know i just was calm man i'd get baked and be cool i didn't go out and drive like a maniac in my suv so many people i saw they were more of a risk honestly yeah <laughs> and the way he addresses that is by trying to quit he mm -hmm. tries to stop drinking coffee and boy that doesn't go well for that's him. not fun well, no <laughs> and i've done that too i don't drink it on my days off but i do at work it's a habit and yeah i work 10 hour days i'm not excusing it but i try not to on my days off because i know it is a drug and 
Yeah. I take naps on my day off, man. That's what they're all about. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, to be clear, I, I don't even know if we mentioned the title, This Is Your Mind on Plants, but it's not a like a how-to guide on these things. It's more of his personal reflections about these things with supplemented with some history and science and context. But he's a great storyteller. And so it's interesting to just have his sort of focus um, on this topic. And he also wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma, which turned many a meat eater into vegetarian, but also converted vegetarians into consumers of sustainable and humanely raised animals. We're lucky to have sources for that in our weekly farmer's market. But I like the way that, you know, his sort of personal observations on these things have a lot to say to a lot of different kinds of people. Yeah, well said. Me too. Yeah, he's a huge influencer in the world. Like you said, the, the meat thing, that didn't ultimately change me, the omnivore's dilemma. It was actually sapiens that made me stop eating meat now mm -hmm. for two years. But in defense of food, I actually heard Michael Pollan on Pacifica Radio in Houston one day, and I'm like, who the hell is this guy? He said, don't go when you go to the grocery store, stick to the outside. Don't ever go down the middle aisles. If you right. can't notice this stuff without packaging, the better food is on the outside. Mm -hmm. The only problem with that guidance is that's where the ice cream is, man. <laughs> There's only so much stuff we can make at home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but it, and he says, you know, you don't need to be strict about it. And he says that even with coffee. He's like, you know, I, I tried tea. It didn't work for me. He's not really preachy. He doesn't ever really make a stance. He just goes in like a scientist and and sees what, you know, he, he would do. Yeah. And that's why he, he tries mescaline. That's the third thing he does. He mm -hmm. was actually invited to the Texas border to go and, and do it as part of a ceremony. And he had an issue of realizing as a white person, is this something I should be doing as a native ceremony to mm -hmm. go and write and profit off of it? And he wound up going through a person who wound up giving him some in California who started a, a commune, I guess is the word for it, 40 years ago or so, just living off the land and they grow it there. And he got to try it. And once again, my, one of my, my problems with him is that he tends to worry about how he's going to convey all this information to people rather than fully live the experience. Oh, like right. uh, when he took psychedelics in his prior book, I feel like he was really concerned with how he was going to convey that, which if you have that in your mind, you're not going to be able to fully experience the yeah. drug or whatever it is. And he did that once again in this, but I think he and his wife went to a ceremony and his wife opened up. It was a very cathartic experience for her, but he couldn't fully enjoy it because I think he was trying to listen and then convey that to the readers. So we benefited from it, but I feel like his outlook of some of these mind-expanding drugs is a little bit less because of his need to convey that all to us. So yeah. I hope one day he actually does this and just doesn't write a damn thing down, has no power paper, or just, and just gets to enjoy it and experience it himself. And maybe write about it later, uh, the next day, uh, which is impossible to do. <laughs> it's not a good time to be taking notes or looking at your phone and jotting something down. Go with it. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love his books and I'll read every one of them until I, I can't read anymore. And so all three of those books were fascinating and I will be recommending them to the right folks. And yeah, I, cool. I can't wait. What are you reading now? A lot, uh, too much news. <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah. too much news worst of all you know? yeah i have a question for you since you yeah. spend so much time exploring our local outdoor areas and stuff have you ever had a bigfoot encounter <laughs> no i wish i had and i'm glad i haven't yeah uh, we have heard strange noises for sure 
one of our earlier foraging hunts, we were out in the middle of Forks, out really out nowhere on this road called Undie Road, U-N-D-I. Uh, we were really way out in the hinterlands. And we started hearing a, a, like a, a horn, like a horn, like a, almost someone blowing a horn. And what is that? And we kept walking around, around no one, seriously, miles from. We didn't hear the noise much, but then we just saw a very strange man walking around with a giant horn. And so <laughs> that was him. And we had made up all sorts of stuff. What if there's some weirdo? And it was. And it was just neat to see in Forks of all places, some hippie dude with a giant horn. So that made our day. We didn't know if we had maybe accidentally been stung by something, and, but it was a, a shared hallucination. So that had to be real. <laughs> you've, but, you've heard of Bigfoot. Now meet Big Horn. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to deal with anyone. He didn't want to see us. We acknowledged we kind of tipped heads and went our own way. But it, it was fascinating. And I've read other people's encounters uh, with people out in the woods that they're just like, Look, my friend, friends and I were searching uh, for mushrooms. We got lost, and all of a sudden there was this guy playing a flute out there, mm. barefoot in the middle of the woods, and he led us to the path. Like I, I read numerous things about that for mushroom blogs and people, and wow. uh, I find that fascinating. But yeah. no Bigfoot yet. I do have a couple customers who claim to have hung out with them, so we'll see about them apples. I'm still waiting for the pictures. Yeah, well, if I ever run into him, I'll be sure to introduce you. Yes, please. I'm sure we're friends. But yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Pegasus Book Exchange is open seven days a week in the Junction. For more information, visit PegasusBookshop.com. There's a new movie headed our way about Bigfoot, the mysterious creature often reported to be dwelling out in the woods of the Pacific Northwest. But where do the people of West Seattle stand on the legend of Bigfoot? We hit the streets to find out. I would love to believe in Bigfoot, <laughs> but no, not at the moment. <laughs> of course I do, because I love the deep woods, and I, there's got to be lots of mysteries out there. And I think I've seen him out in the Olympic Peninsula. He was gigantic and kind of walking like this. You know what I mean. You know, I think there's so many mysteries out there that we just don't know. There's no way of knowing until we find him. Uh, I just, I have never seen like a real Bigfoot before, you know. You'd have to see it to believe it. Yeah, I'd have to see it to believe it. <laughs> I believe in Bigfoot because he's that clever. He doesn't need to be discovered unless he wants to be. I think it's a figment of people's imagination. It's what they want to believe. I want to believe, but I'm not sure if I do believe. But, um... Yeah, I'm, just for fun, I'm going to say I do believe. I do believe in Bigfoot. I think he's a time traveler. Really? Well, why is there no evidence? Where did he go? Why do people see him and there's nothing that we know of to prove his, his existence? I do believe in Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot's an alien time traveler also. And I think that's why they never can find him, because he only appears when that portal is open for him to be present. Did you ever see that episode of The Six Million Dollar Man where Bigfoot was an alien? I did when I was a little kid, but I very vaguely remember it. <laughs> it's a good one. Check it out. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Do I believe in Bigfoot? Uh, well, I think uh, Bigfoot's most likely a standing bear. But I still, want to believe, I still want to believe, I still believe, I still believe that he's out there. Those footprints are indeed, they're his footprints. I do believe in Bigfoot. I, I suppose so. I have to. I'm from the Northwest. It's part of my, it's part of my heart, part of my heritage, you know. I want to send people out there to look for him as well. 
Awesome. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. I've never thought about it. Uh, do I believe in Bigfoot? Um, I'd have to say yes. And the reason why is because of uh, th the same sort of story in other parts of the world, like the Yeti. And so it, it seems like it, it can't, uh, not necessarily just some regional made-up story. I feel like if Bigfoot were a thing, we would have found some remains by now. I want him to be real, but I just don't think he is. I think we all want him to be real. Right. As luck would have it, we were contacted by Bigfoot's representatives to set up an interview around the new movie, Hunting Bigfoot, making its local premiere right here in West Seattle at the historic Admiral Theater. We thought it'd be fun to have Bigfoot speak with our area's own elusive and widely wondered about celebrity, as you'll hear in this exclusive interview with Bigfoot and the West Seattle Turkey. Oh, thank you. It's so great to be here in West Seattle. Have you lived here long? Oh, wow. That's quite a story. I will definitely read all about it in the West Seattle blog. I think they've been trying to track me down for an interview, too. Someone's always trying to track me down. Yeah, people get really excited when they see me, too. I can't step outside without my socials blowing up. It's so funny because I'm usually just out and about, minding my own business, foraging for berries, you know, that kind of stuff. And if anyone happens to catch sight of me, they go nuts. Oh, yeah. Photos, videos, everything. Sometimes they'll even gather up bits of my fur or make plaster casts of my footprints. TikTok? Hmm, I've never even heard of TikTok. I'm kind of a Luddite, to be honest. I don't even have a cell phone. Oh, I don't take Ubers or Lyfts. I don't fit into most of them. And really, when you've got feet like mine, that's all you need to get around. Kind of like you, with your wings. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that not all turkeys fly. Well, nobody's perfect. Like me, I smell really bad. Like, just awful. People often say that's the first thing they notice about me, that they can smell me even before they see me. When I first got to town this week and noticed everyone was wearing masks, I thought, uh-oh, looks like my reputation has preceded me. But I guess the masks are for something else? Oh, another pandemic? Wow, sometimes I'm glad I live off the grid. <laughs> That's true, we don't have many movie premieres out in my neck of the woods. <laughs> but hey, that's a good excuse to visit West Seattle. I'd love to tell you more about the movie. It's called Hunting Bigfoot, and it's a new film from Seattle-based filmmaker Taylor Gooderson, and it's about a man who claims to have seen a Sasquatch. That's me. Most people don't believe him, even his own family, so he sets out into the Northwest wilderness to prove what he saw was real. It was shot mostly in North Bend and Snoqualmie, so if you ever get off this lovely peninsula of yours, you might recognize some familiar places like Snoqualmie Falls. And you might also see some familiar faces, as most of the people in the film are North Bend locals. 
Oh, I totally agree. We like to keep it local when we can. And so we're really excited about the Seattle premiere of Hunting Bigfoot happening right here in West Seattle at the historic Admiral Theater on Friday, August 20th. I'll be there for photos before the screening, and I don't get out much, so you don't want to miss it. I don't know if there's a discount for turkeys, but I can certainly look into it. Hunting Bigfoot starts Friday, August 20th at the historic Admiral Theater. For tickets and more information, visit farawayentertainment.com. That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Always West Seattle is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>